Hi, Filmatics. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have an amazing guest, Jeff Whiting. He is an actor, stand-up comedian, casting director, musician. He manages comics, and he's known for being the actor in a moody Christmas Sky Atlantic. And we want to welcome to the show. Welcome, Jeff. Oh, hello there. Nice to speak to you. Yeah. Um, so Jeff, good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah. So where where can you tell our filmatic <laughs> listeners where you're recording live from today? Oh well, I'm in the UK. It's uh, ten past midnight here. So and he, um, <laughs> but luckily I, I never go to bed early. So yeah. So it is four o'clock was... in Los Angeles, and it's midnight. So Jeff has stayed up so that our um, yeah. filmatics can learn all about Jeff's amazing i have indeed yeah yeah so okay great so uh jeff uh, can you tell me one of your favorite films growing up as a kid oh i can because uh i'm very much into sci-fi and futuristic things so blade runner is my favorite movie the original blade runner 1982 because uh i love that movie uh the atmosphere it seems to be raining all the time notice um but just the whole thing the way it was shot the atmosphere the whole concept i love because uh i'm very interested still uh, and of course it's still happening now in other movies um the whole idea of whether it's replicants androids very human human looking robots which of course are now really becoming almost a real thing um and i just love that aspect and the whole idea of of the replicants having this limited life of four years and the sort of philosophy behind it. The, I just thought the whole thing was great. I loved that sort of movie, and I just thought it was the best of its type to me. Uh, even till now, I still think it is. Although I have seen some some similar movies that are great, but I think it's the best. So, yeah, you know, it is a classic. Um, you know what? I want years old. Yeah, I want to watch that tonight. You reminded me. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was scary, and they had to get away from those android robots, and you're like, hurry, hurry, hurry. Yeah. Um, that was a beautiful film. So, oh, yeah, oh. it's just fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, it's got philosophy in it all the way through as well. You know, the whole thing, you know, is Decker really an android himself? Is he really a replicant himself? Or is he not? And the whole thing, there's so many layers. You can watch it about four or five times and take different things from it. So I love that movie, yeah. Yeah, and that's a testament to when you can watch a movie over and over again. Because a lot of movies, people say they only want to watch it once and they know everything. They don't need to see it again. But Blade Runner is one of those where you want to watch it over and over again. You're like, please don't remake it. It's good. Don't remake anything that's great. <laughs> Write something new, right? I know, but the, but the funny thing is they made seven versions of Blade Runner. <laughs> seven versions because they had the one with him. Um, sort of doing a voiceover, narrating the whole thing himself, and then they did a version without that. I like the version when he was narrating it. Most people don't. They prefer the other version. And it doesn't matter. That's getting a bit too specific. But but they made quite a lot of versions. But I love that movie. It's just um, everything. The ending, everybody knows the ending. You know, it's, 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 he's hanging out of a window, or he nearly falls out the window, and Rutger Hauer is there playing Roy. And Anyway, I won't go into it, but it's just a great movie. My favourite. Right. And so um, I want to ask you, since you became this amazing actor and stand-up and musician, and now you're managing comics and you're even doing casting. So what was a film that inspired you to go into your career? Do you have a favorite Criterion movie? Um, probably 
strangely, in my case, um, although I, I'm a stand-up comic, um, I loved uh, Peter Sellers. So Doctor Strange Love, even even being there, which was much later. Uh, so Peter Sellers movies, and of course Pink Panther. So so the comedy of Peter Sellers is what I was inspired by. Um, uh, I think the guy was a genius. I know he had a very troubled personal life, which is uh, which I always try and separate with artists because you know I try and think of the art rather than you know whatever else happened is is their personal life, but. As an artist, as a performer and an um, actor, I thought Peter Sellers was fantastic. I mean, his comedy timing in Pink Panther and uh, and also in, in, and the characters he played um, in some of the other movies, like Doctor Strange, like I just he was my comic inspiration. So the movies with Peter Sellers would be my answer to that. I love that. Yeah, Peter Pink Panther, like the funniest movie ever. Remember the one? What was the movie where he the party? Remember the party? Yes. Yeah. Comic genius. Like pure yeah, comic no. genius. I mean, so you picked some good ones. He really ones. was, honestly. He, and, he, and he did he did films in, he did, and he did, he spanned different countries. You know, he worked in the UK and then, and then it, right across Europe, like all these movies came out and then obviously America as well. And he seemed to be able to work on different, across different um, cultures different different continents you know and some actors can do that some can't but i just thought he was amazing and, and he was even though i'm a stand-up comic and he never was he was an actor i just thought his comic timing and his comic characters is what inspired me in that respect yeah absolutely genius so i want to ask you do you have a favorite director and what is one of your favorite film shots from a movie oh my favorite director is alan parker mm. because my second favorite film is angel heart that's my second favorite movie, Angel Heart, Mickey Rourke's best movie. Oh. And Alan Parker directed Heart, which is just an amazing movie. I absolutely love it. Uh, but Alan Parker, it's just, I mean, he managed to, you know, he managed to direct things like Bugsy Malone, but then also Pink Floyd The Wall, which I thought was amazing. Um, beginning of Pink Floyd The Wall is, uh, is amazing. Um, it's like two wooden doors shaking but there's no sound whatsoever um it's just two wooden doors shaking as if somebody's trying to open them but but there's no sound it's completely silent um and then as the doors break open the music cuts in at full volume it's just an amazing uh, way to open the movie so so and of course he did mississippi burning which i think is a brilliant movie um and he made so many great films he didn't make that many films i mean he made, made about 12 films but i loved the work of alan parker so and probably angel heart it had recurring themes fans spinning he had some brilliant recurring themes fans spinning you, you kept seeing fans spinning in buildings fans spinning in in offices there was a theme an ongoing theme a sort of haunting and then there was this ongoing um shot of somebody putting their hand on somebody's shoulder with like a black hood and when the person turned around which you don't see until the very end of the movie they're a skeleton they're a skull but you don't see that you see him putting his hand on the shoulder and the head starting to turn and you see it repeatedly through the film until the end of the movie. And of course, Robert De Niro is in that movie as well. Robert De Niro played the devil in Angel Heart. Oh, well. Um, and he had a very long fingernail. Ah! And etched boiled eggs. <laughs> and he did what with so, boiled eggs? Uh, Alan Parker is my favorite director. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Mickey Rourke's best movie. My, I know he's done, there's a couple of others he did more recently that people said was perhaps one of his best ever some of his other works um but i think it's his best movie mickey Rourke. yeah and i love uh, but anyway alan parker is my favorite director yeah yeah so, I, I love and i've got a favorite scene yeah 
Not from my favourite scene isn't from Alan Parker movie actually. It's uh, Coen Brothers. It's No Country for Old Men. Um, because I love that scene, which you definitely will know, where he's goes into the gas station and then he decides to he just tells the guy he's going to toss a coin, and we the audience know that if it, he calls it wrong, he's going to shoot him. Javier Bardem does that scene uh, in No Country for Old Men. So basically, he walks in and then the guy behind the counter doesn't know what's going on really, but he's saying, you know. I'm going to flip a coin, you know, call the coin. He says, what, what have, and the guy, what the great line is, the guy says, what have I got to gain? And uh, Javier Bardem says, everything. <laughs> Which is great, considering, you know, what he means is he's going to shoot him if he gets it wrong. But that's quite, but it's quite allegorical, really. That's why I like it. You yeah. know, it's sort of allegorical to say, uh, the flip of a coin, because really, if you think about it, whether you leave your house or stay at home, walk out in front of a car by mistake, or don't walk out in front of a car, a lot of it is on the flip of a coin, really, life. So I think it's an allegorical scene in some ways because they seem to be su suggesting, you know, really your life is hanging on the flip of a coin. Uh, in this case, literally, but in general, perhaps, you know, in that, uh, I think they may be, Coen Brothers may be making that point. Um, but I just love that scene. It's a great scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, fantastic. Well, you know, one of my favourites of all time. So that would be, yeah, that would be in my mind. Yeah, and I just wanted to let the audience know, like when you were talking about the other movie, um, your Alan Parker film, uh, what was it, Angel, Angel, what was the name of it? Angel Heart. Angel Heart. Yeah, Angel Heart. When you were talking about the yeah, fan I, spinning and the reoccurring themes, that really took me back yeah. to watching that movie, and it brought me into the environment and like uh, the seduction and the like the mystery and like the invitation. So thank you. That was just, yeah, I, I want to see that movie just for those, um, those film shots. Thank yeah, you for it, sharing that. It's really, I just, everything cinematically, the plot is very complex and I, it, it's a brilliant plot, but it's complex. It's, a, it's got a bit of voodoo and black magic thrown in. It's, it's just, uh, atmospheric. Robert De Niro is great. Um, Ricky Rourke is really great and everything about it i just love that movie i mean and as i said the recurring themes the hand on the shoulder the head that doesn't quite turn the fan it goes all the way through it i love i just love it yeah and then and you picked a good yeah. one old country no country for old men the gas station with the coin toss love that movie yeah. just like so it was kind yeah. of like not slow but it was like slow moving and it took you into this yeah. slow pace relaxation but you wanted to see the whole movie. So great job, Coen Brothers. Um, and then also, I wanted to ask you, what kind of movie would you have loved to done? Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> so somebody I, who cast you in a uh, role, I'm, they know what I'm kind not, of role. Well, the only reason I laughed at that point is that I'm not really, uh, uh, when I was young, I was a bit, I was rather athletic and sporty, but I'm not as much now as I used to be. But what I'd love to, uh, I would love to have been Big Daddy in Kick-Ass. <laughs> yeah, uh, Big Daddy! Cake. With an English accent. Because Kick-Ass. Can you say it in well, English? Well, Kick-Ass is a great, great film anyway, but, um, kick -off. but Big Daddy, I, I mean, it's amazing. This, I would love to have done the scene where he, blows up the, 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 the crime boss's warehouse. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's got his uniform, well, he's, he's sort of slightly Batman-esque uh, uniform that he puts on. And then he goes around and he's shooting people and throwing grenades around and setting fire to things and 
it completely destroys this warehouse, um, all of which is being filmed on a secret camera through a teddy bear, I seem to remember, ah. which is how it comes to light later on. Yeah, yeah, weirdly. But um, but I'd love to have done that. It must have been such good. I mean, perhaps it was very difficult to film technically and he didn't enjoy it at all, but it looks enjoyable when you watch it because he's walking around just taking people out, blowing things up, you know, with this almost nonchalant sort of, you know, uh, vigilante sort of, a nonchalant vigilante, I'd describe it as. <laughs> so I've, I'd love to have been, I'd love to have played that scene. Well, maybe you could be <laughs> big, big grandpa. Or something. Or our big, a big I colonel. Think I'm about the same age. Or the colonel. <laughs> I think what I'm is about it? the same age as Nicholas Cage, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it, I just love that scene. I was just, I mean, it, it looked great. And I'm, I'm, whether, as I said, he, Nicholas Cage, actually enjoyed doing it, or it was incredibly complicated and hard work. I don't know, but it looks great when you watch it. I thought I'd love to do that scene. Yeah, well, there's like the, the agents, uh, the agents' bosses, like 007. So maybe they'll call you up and say, we want you to be like the kick-ass <laughs> boss in 007. You're like, yeah. And guess what? You get to blow yeah. up warehouses. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm, 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 no, I think I'm, I think I'm available to play the uh, the uh, elder statesman of a gang now. <laughs> yeah, elder think, statesman, uh, statesman, we'll take it. Yeah, but, you know, you know, well, the gang members always have an elder statesman guy, don't they? Who, doesn't quite get involved in the action as much, but since they're giving our instructions to henchmen, I think I've got to the age where that's more my thing now. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, not so much doing the action as commanding other people. Fine. <laughs> Sir, yes. James, I have a mission for you. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. 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 Just that's to right. know, if just that movie just... ever comes out. Yeah. 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 So, um, so one of your favorite lines from a movie is one of my favorites. Can you, um, can you say the line? Because I, I, you have, will you say uh, well, first? of course, I've already referenced it. I've already referenced it. The best, my favorite line in the movie is, "Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room," <laughs> which is Doctor Strange love. But I love the line, "Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room." It's just a good line in it itself. I just love that. And as I said, I'm a comedian, so I love comic lines and I love that movie. So, yeah, that's my favorite line. I mean, there are so many brilliant lines in movies, aren't there? So many, but I love that line. Yeah. And um, so, and I know one of your favorite characters. Can you share us your favorite character from a movie? Uh, well, my favorite character from a movie, and of course, bearing in mind I'm speaking to you from England, um, is Sherlock Holmes. Because uh, the reason I like Sherlock Holmes is I love the fact he's very flawed. You know, he takes he takes opium, um, you know, he doesn't sleep very well. He's, you know, irritable a lot of the time. Um, and yet he's a brilliant detective. Um, the fact he randomly plays the violin at odd moments for no apparent reason. I just love the whole uh, character of Sherlock Holmes uh, and the fact that he's he seems to be someone who has quite a lot of issues. Uh, but on the other hand, he's able to outwit uh, ne'er-do-wells and... Uh, mastermind criminals uh, because he's still clever enough to outwit them. I just love the whole concept because he's such a, you know, I love the fact he's very typically English. I mean, I mean, very stereotypically old fashioned English from his period, but also he's, he's such an eccentric character yet he's will take on, you know, and, and also like the fact that Sherlock Holmes uh, in some of the books, not in the movies necessarily, but will certainly have a, a, a fist fight with somebody. And in fact, I think he has done that in some of the movies, but certainly he's happy to get involved in fisticuffs, as we would call it in an old fashioned English way, um, which is something else that normally these detectives, you don't really, not that sort of detective, you know, you wouldn't see Columbo, you know, punching somebody in the face, I don't think, but you would see Sherlock Holmes punching somebody in the face. So I like the fact he's sort of volatile, flawed, 
drug-taking musician. Yeah, and I like that he's always working on something because I'm like, I'm ADHD too. And um, he's always in those disguises and he, he does, yes. he's not very tidy. So yeah, because when you're working so hard in all your projects, you need you need someone to help you yeah. clean up because I, I run five podcasts and you're like my dog is like when do I get to go for a walk so yeah I love his disguises yeah, yeah I mean so you're totally right about that and what I love is you're right is that he has to have you know an assistant sort of babysitting him you know um, looking after the house and making his food for him yeah as I said he can outwit you know Moriarty etc I love it I love it the whole idea is very typically sort of uh, British and whatever but I love it. Yeah. And um, so we, I want to ask, uh, how did you start? Did you grow up in London? How did you start doing stand up and, and being a musician? Can you tell us how you started? Your... Uh, well, um, I, I, I studied um, college in Surrey, which is very near to London. And um, I joined something called the Surrey Youth Theatre in 1978. And um, it was great. It was a week, you went once a week in the evening on a Thursday night for maybe 15 weeks. And then you'd put on a, a show uh, or a play. We, we did um, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. And I played Bottom in that with a donkey's head on, which is rather hot work. Uh, uh, <laughs> a face mask is nothing compared to wearing a donkey's head. But um, so I played Bottom in, in Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, but then we also did Under Milk Wood by Dylan Thomas. and. In that year, 1979, I acted alongside Michael Ball, and Michael Ball is um, a very well-known uh, uh, singer. West End. Well, he, he he's released albums. He, he's uh, appeared in Les Miserables and uh, Phantom of the Opera, all sorts of things. Hairspray and the West End of London. Cats uh, and now, Hairspray. So you worked with Michael Ball, who has done like all these amazing performances in the West End, which is London's version of Broadway. So you did Cats and yeah. Hairspray. So you're working with Michael Ball. So you're amazing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Crazy. And, and he was 17 and I was 18. So there we are. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, anyway, I'll tell you, I, I don't know. I, I've got a story about Michael Ball. I can tell you now or later, whichever you prefer. Sure, um, and shall I tell you now? Yeah, um, yeah I might, uh, I'll be cut off at the last moment. Um, no, my, my, Michael um, was uh, always had this operatic sort of way of singing, which was um, which is good because he ended up being a singer in the West End of London in West End musicals and um, Shaftesbury Avenue. But but at that point, uh, it wasn't a rock. He didn't have the vocals for a rock voice, you know, a pop voice particularly. I thought, and we were in the car on one occasion because I used to collect him from his house every Thursday and drive him. 10 miles to where the rehearsals were because he, did, he didn't have a car and I did. And um, I put the radio on and he would sing along to things and uh, Yellow Brick Road came on by Elton John and he was singing along with this um, in a very, as I said, a sort of stylized, um, goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, that sort of style. And um, <laughs> which was a, a very good voice, but not quite right for, for that song. And uh, I said to him after, I said, Mike, I, I don't really think you're cut out for that sort of thing. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, pop singing. And he said to me, this is a 100% true story. He said to me, Jeff, I'll have a number one single in the next 10 years. And considering he was 17 and he had this strange way of singing and he didn't have a pop singer's voice. And at the time he was just at college trying to be an actor. I thought, 
it just seemed impossible. So I said to him, if you if you have a number one hit record in the next 10 years, Mike, I'll buy a hat and eat it. And uh, nine years later, Love Changes Everything, which was him singing, a track from Western Musical was number one. And I got a message from him about a hat. <laughs> so you're like, you owe me a hat. What kind of hat was it? Was it a yeah. top hat? Bowler hat's very hard to get hold of. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy the hat. <laughs> You're like, you can buy me uh, one now. I, but uh, but I, it, it's just unbelievable that I, I, word for word, we had that conversation and he actually had it record nine years later when he'd given me, I'll be our number one in 10 years. The chances seem to be almost zero. It gives anybody listening to this hope because at 17, the way he was then and the way things were, there would appear to me have been no chance of him having a number one hit single in the next 10 years, and he achieved it. So you can achieve your dreams, guys. That's what I'm telling you. But anyway, I then I went on to university after that, and I studied drama at the University of Exeter in Devon. And um, But I didn't really crack the acting. I did a bit of part-time sort of acting, and, you know, I didn't quite – I just didn't get quite as far as I hoped. I, I didn't quite off the ground, but I did form a band – um, called Prime Suspect, and I was the lead singer of that band and songwriter, and um, we secured a record deal um, uh, when I was only 20 uh, with a guy called uh, Ray Dorset, who had his own label. Um, he's better known as Mungo Jerry, who did a song called In the Summertime. don't know if you remember this. In the summertime, when the weather is fine. That, uh, yes, anyway, you, yes. You know so, so that was yeah, your it, manager or publisher? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it gets played every summer, you know, since... Do, 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 do. Anyway, that's your song. Yeah, in the summertime when the weather is fine. Yeah, anyway, etc., etc. I anyway, like that. Oh man, because it is yeah, sunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had his own record label, and he signed us. Uh, I was only twenty, and we signed to his label, and we released a single, which uh, we sold quite a few copies, but we didn't again make it big. We didn't get a big hit, and then in the next five, six years, I released about five or six more singles. Um, was in about three different bands, all with record deals, none of which got higher than about, about number 60 or number 70 in the charts. I was in a band in 1988, and we had a hit in Germany, number six in Germany, but that meant we toured Germany and sold out, but we didn't make it in the UK. And then my biggest claim to fame is that um, one of the songs I wrote ended up being featured on, on an album, a compilation album of different bands called Chart Attack, which, uh, which featured people like, you know, Simple Minds and Duran Duran and uh, all sorts of, you know, a lot of very famous people. But uh, we got a track onto that album, the band I was in, and I was a singer in that band. Um, that sold 140,000 copies, which uh, is what it used to have to sell in those days and got to number seven in the album charts, in the UK album charts. So there's 140,000 copies lying around somewhere of a, an album with a song of mine that I sing on it. But uh, that was... Uh, over 30 years ago, so I've no idea where any of those are. But, it's um, called Chart Attack. The yes. album's called Chart Attack. What was your song's name? Uh, the, the, the song, uh, yeah, the song was sorry. The, the album was called Chart Attack, and that's a good question. Um, that's, okay. <laughs> that's a very good question. Okay. I've got the album. I've got the album in the next room. This shows. <laughs> Well, we're going to have to have you come back. We're going to play oh, well, a game. But the it's, name of the band, the band of the band was Strange Arrangement. That's what you need to worry about. Strange the band was called Strange Arrangement. Yeah, Strange Arrangement. We we were uh, formed in 1982, 
Uh, and funnily enough, a band in America formed in about 87 and also called themselves Strange Arrangement because because they were in America and we were in the UK and there was no internet and no social media. They didn't know we existed and we didn't know about them. But we actually were Strange Arrangement before they were. But there is an American band called Strange Arrangement, nothing to do with us. Um, but we're on Facebook. We're under Strange Arrangement New Romantics. Because oh. that was a style we played, uh, which was sort of a bit like Spandau Ballet or Duran Duran. So we're under strange arrangement new romantics and um and, and we're on facebook under, under that and that would have all the details of the album i cannot believe i can't remember mm-hmm. the track. well we'll have a little contest with our it. film addicts i mean i wrote this i did write the song whoever gives us a, a review this, with um oh, it doesn't matter I, i've got the album in the next room mm-hmm. i'm looking up i can tell you yeah we got it well, whoever gives us um a five-star review with the name of the song we'll get a signed copy if they find that uh, uh the, this the the record <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So um I will, I've got a copy here. Sign so um yeah, so so you started but then after that, Yeah, yeah, well happened after that the money ran out, as it always does, uh, or can do, um, if you're a musician. And I, I went into a day job for about five years as a food salesman, just traveling around selling food to different shops, you know, just as a as a rep. And I did that for five years. Uh, but I carried on playing music in the evenings and and, and, and yeah, performing but then i was made redundant and uh you know these are those this is the toss of a coin moment that i was talking about from the movie is uh, i was made redundant with no warning on oh, the spot by the company, company. we're closing down yeah they they we, we were called to a meeting and they just said leave your company car here here's a train fare to get home uh we're closing now the company's gone broke here's one month's wages and that's it uh, and that changed my life because I would have stayed in that job otherwise. Um, although I didn't love it, I still would have stayed in it for, uh, you know, for the sake of, you know, security. But um, I was suddenly unemployed, and within six months, I was in debt and living in a bedsit uh, with no car, no phone, no landline, no mobile phone. Oh. I had to operate from a phone box. I had to go to a phone box. Oh no, no, a phone box. No, I generally didn't. This was when I was 37. I had no phone, no car, no no, no landline, no, no nothing. Uh, almost no money. But anyway, I, I, saw, I, I saw an advertisement in a national newspaper saying, are you funny, blah, blah. Uh, would you like to, could you be a comedian, etc. And I had been mentioned to me a few times over my career by various people that you tend to be a comedy actor and you tend to like to make jokes and you talk a lot, as you've noticed. And somebody actually said to me once, if you could get paid for talking, that would be the best career you could get, Jeff, because you talk all the time. So if you could get paid for it, this is what you need to do. So when I saw this advert for comedians, I suddenly thought, well, I've never been a comedian, but I love comedy. I'll try and write some jokes. And you had to make a cassette because this is the era of cassette tapes. (laughs) You had to record yourself doing two minutes of your own material onto a cassette, no audience, just at home, just dry at home, record two minutes into a recorder, you know, onto a cassette tape of your jokes and send it to this company, Avalon. And Avalon are actually, of course, the company that make uh, John Oliver's show in the States because Avalon uh, are all over the States as well as, as the UK. But at the time, they were more of a UK-based operation, Avalon. And so it was run by uh, Avalon, who, I say, um, are a very big production company here and now in America. So I entered it, and I got to the semi-final. Uh, but at the semi-final, there were 12 of us, and I had no idea when I arrived that only one person was going to go through. 
So I was probably a bit too relaxed because I imagined that if I was in the best three or four, I'd go through. But uh, we all went, got up and did five minutes and then they announced the results and said, right, the winner is so-and-so, a guy called Mike, actually. And um, that's it. The rest of you aren't through. So I suddenly realised, oh, right, it was one person out of 12 because they were running, obviously, a lot of these seats around the country. So, uh, but they said, you can come back next year. You can enter next year. So I then started playing gigs in pubs for no money or for £10 or beer money. And I spent the next year doing about 300 gigs. I gigged almost every night for a year in pubs, anywhere I could. Get on stage, five minutes, get on stage for 10 minutes. I did anything I could anywhere. Drove up and down a few hours each way to get on stage and honed my act. And then the next year I entered and I went to the semi-final and I won it. And you I won it? Final. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, I'd worked very hard, but, I, you know, there were still 12 of us, but I won that. So I then went to the final at Edinburgh, um, which was 1998. And, of course, in that final was Steve Merchant. Steve Merchant was also in that final um, because Steve Merchant in 1998 was a, a, an up-and-coming new stand-up comedian um, uh, based very near where I lived. We lived a couple of miles apart from each other, and so we knew each other quite well. And I, um, Stephen Merchant was not placed in the first three. I wasn't placed. Uh, in fact, several of the people that have gone on to, you know, have very good careers uh, professionally or go as far as someone like Stephen Merchant has weren't placed. And the people who came first and second both gave up comedy oh. eventually. So it's strange how these things happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. But Stephen be- Merchant... Uh, carry on. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, this is going to be end of part one with Jeff Whiting, and he's going to tell you the story to his rise to success as a stand-up comedian, answering um, the national advertising. Are you funny? End of part one. <laughs> <laughs>